Hi everyone, welcome to our online service. It's great to have you join in like this today. I trust that you will find encouragement uh, from God's Word as we read and study it together now. Well, Isaiah 55, a uh, wonderful passage that reminds us of uh, how great God's Word is. It says, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. Well, that passage compares God's word to a rich banquet of food. Uh, it's showing us that God's word is a feast for our souls. And so may God give us an appetite uh, for his word today. Well, today we're starting a new series. Uh, it's from the second letter of Peter. And uh, this is a series on um, pursuing godliness. That's what the letter of 2 Peter is about. And so for the next two Sundays, we're going to look at 2 Peter. God willing, we'll get through the whole book. And we're going to be reminded uh, that's what the letter is. It's a reminder of the fact that Jesus saved us for this purpose, to live a life of godliness, uh, to live a life that brings glory uh, to our wonderful God. Uh, so this letter, Peter wrote it um, between 64 and 68 AD. Uh, he wrote to Christians who were in danger of slipping away from the truth that they'd come to know. Uh, false teachers had sprung up amongst them and were telling them that it didn't matter how you lived, that God wasn't coming back to judge, uh, that you know life just goes on as an endless cycle. Uh, so Peter wrote this letter not to tell them anything new, but simply to remind them of the truth of the gospel, the truth that they had received. And he did that to stir them up, to, to fire their passion uh, for living for God's glory and looking forward to that day when Jesus um, returns. And uh, Peter wrote to remind them that the gospel, the good news of salvation, uh, always grows into a life of godliness within believers. Uh, so today we're going to look at the opening section of 2 Peter. It's uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 1 to 11. So if you've got a Bible, um, open it up, keep it open as we work through the passage uh, and before I read it, I'll, I'll pray. Let's come before God. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do come to you today to praise you, for you are the living God, the God who has called us uh, to worship you. Uh, we praise you, Father, for your word is true. Your, you are faithful in all that you do. You love righteousness and justice. The earth is full of your unfailing love. And we praise you, Father, because we have experienced your unfailing love so many times, even today. But we praise you most of all for that wonderful display of your love in the cross of Jesus, where you have forgiven our sin and restored us to a relationship with you. Oh, Father, help us to praise you. Uh, help us to be attentive to your word this morning. Uh, we ask that uh, as we listen to your word, that you would shape us, uh, that, that you would give us a hunger for your word, that we might taste and see that you are good. 
And we pray that you would work in us what is pleasing to you. We ask it through our Lord and Saviour, Jesus, in his name. Amen. Well, let's hear from God's word, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and with virtue knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unproductive in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be provided, richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. This is God's word. Imagine you sat down to write a letter to those closest to you, you know, your family members or, or some close friends, you know, those you loved dearly. And imagine that this is most likely the final letter you will ever write because you don't know how long you have to live. What would you write? What would you want to be the final and lasting message uh, to these people? Well, that's essentially what 2 Peter is. Uh, 2 Peter is a letter the Apostle Peter wrote <clears throat> at the very end of his life. Uh, chapter 1, verse 14, uh, he probably wrote it from a prison cell, knowing that execution is not far away. Uh, and, but he wrote this letter to people, uh, to believers who he dearly loved. And of all the things that he could have written about, what was the, the final and lasting message that Peter wanted his readers to never forget? What was it? It was this, don't waste your life. And the way to do that is by pursuing godliness. Don't waste your life, pursue godliness. That's, that's what 2 Peter is about. And so the letter begins with, with this theme uh, of introducing this theme. theme. It tells us, <clears throat> tells us what godliness is. It tells us where godliness comes from. It tells us how we grow in godliness. And finally, it tells us why we need godliness. So those are our four points. Let's look at them. So first, what godliness is. 
uh, Peter has a very surprising way of describing um, godliness. Uh, it's actually down in verse 4. So if you have a look at that, uh, he says that, it's, it's you, that you may become partakers of the divine nature. Now, that might sound like a very strange way of putting it. I mean, what does it mean? It sort of sounds like Peter is saying that somehow we're infused into God's divine nature. Uh, is that what he means? Well, no. Uh, what, he, what Peter is clearly talking about is that we, uh, that to, to partake of the divine nature is to become like God, uh, not to be infused into him, uh, not to become part of God somehow, but to be like him. Uh, it's, it's talking about being like him, him in terms of his qualities. So we're talking about his goodness, his righteousness, his truth, purity, faithfulness, love, uh, justice. Uh, that's what Peter is talking about. So he's speaking ethically, not ontologically. And we know that's what Peter is saying because in the rest of the verse, verse 4, uh, Peter shows that to be a partaker of the divine nature is the very opposite of the corruption that is in the world caused by sinful desire. So Peter thinks of the world like this. The world is corrupted. Why? Because deep within the human heart, there is something desperately wrong. Uh, the human heart has desires that want to go outside of God's boundaries, uh, that want to transgress God's laws. And that's what the Bible calls sin. But to share in the divine nature, as we learn here, uh, is to escape that corruption, uh, to escape the corruption of the sinful nature and to be able to live like God in true righteousness. And really, that's something that is supernatural. That's something that we cannot do by nature because by nature we are enslaved to our desires, our sinful desires. Uh, but here Peter is saying that for believers... A miracle takes place that enables us to escape that corruption, to live not according to our sinful nature, but rather to be godly, to be like God. And so that's what godliness is. Godliness is to be like God in his character. So that's the first point. But second, we see in this opening section of 2 Peter where godliness comes from. Uh, you see, if we put verse 4 into the context of Peter's argument here, uh, we see that to share in the divine nature is something that we can only receive from God himself. Uh, this is something that we can never do on our own. We could never come up with this purely by our own strength. Uh, this is something that has to come from God. It's a work of God uh, in us. So let's just follow Peter's argument here. <clears throat> Verse 1 says, To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So have a look at this. <clears throat> that word obtained is a word that means to receive something by allotment. Uh, it's saying that our right standing with God and even the faith to receive that right standing are given to us, they're allotted to us as a gift from God. And so Peter is saying that all believers have a equal standing with ours. Uh, he says equal standing with ours in verse 1. 
And so what he's saying is that every single believer from the great apostle all the way to the lowly Christian, you know, it doesn't matter who you are or, or your position, uh, what role you have, every believer has the exact same standing because every believer is clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And that's what makes us right with God. That's what we receive as a gift. Even the faith to, to receive that is a gift. But then in verses 3 and 4, Peter explains that having the, this right standing with God is always accompanied by a transformation. It brings us into a relationship where Christ's divine power comes into our lives and transforms us in ways that are frankly beyond human ability. And what Peter says here in verse 3 is just incredible. Look at it. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So what that's saying is that to live a godly life, Jesus has done everything necessary. He's given you everything necessary for you to be able to do that. Which shows us that a godly life is not something that we have to work up by our own strength. Uh, this is something that comes from Christ's power, his divine power. He is the one who gives this ability to change in these ways. Well, how do we access that ability then? Well, let's read on. Uh, it comes through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Uh, so here this is saying that our, our knowledge of Christ, so our knowledge of who he is, of what he has done, uh, of what he promises, you know, what, what he promises to bring when he comes again. All of this, the, the knowledge of all of this is the very means by which we change. It's the very means by which this radical change happens. It's all about knowing. It's about knowing a person. It's about knowing Christ personally, uh, relating to him through his word. And as we do that, it's, it's almost like Peter's saying his character rubs off on us. We become more like him. You know, sometimes we say uh, that you become like those you hang around, which is true because if you think about it, if you hang around someone who's really energetic and really creative, then it's almost like that part of that kind of rubs off on you. It sort of helps you with your own uh, energy and creativity. Well, it's even deeper than that with Jesus because the more you come to know him, the more his life uh, begins to show in yours. Uh, you, you progressively become like God in practical holiness. And so what's this saying to us? This is saying that it is possible for you to live a godly life. You can change. You will change if you're a believer. You will. That's what it's saying. Uh, it's saying that Jesus has given you everything necessary to do that. Now, that's not saying it's going to be easy. It's not, going, it's not saying it's going to be a quick change. Uh, it's not saying that you're not going to continue experiencing temptation, uh, that there will be struggles. Uh, it's going to involve our effort, which we're going to look at in a minute. But before we think about any of the struggles and problems that we've encountered with growing, the first thing we need to do is to just let verse 3 sink in, that Jesus has given us 
everything we need to live a godly life. There is no excuse for not living a godly life because Christ has done everything and gives us everything we need to be able to do it. That means that some of us who are listening today actually need to stop feeding ourselves the lie that says, I can't change. Okay, perhaps some of you who are listening today feel like you're stuck. You, know, you feel you're stuck with some stubborn sin that you don't seem to be able to put away. And you begin to doubt that you'll ever change. Well, what is this verse saying? It's saying that you can change. There is a way to be free. You can overcome it because you're not left to your own power. This passage is not saying to you that on your own, you have to change yourself. It's saying Christ has done everything and given you everything you need so that you can change. We have divine power to live a godly life. Okay, well, what do we do with this divine power then? So Jesus has given it to us. What do we do with it? And that leads us to the third point. The third thing we see here is how we grow in godliness. And that's in verses 5 to 7. So if you have a look at that. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Now notice how that sentence begins. It's very important. It says, for this very reason. That is, because of the new life you have in Christ, because of Christ's power uh, that enables you to grow, because of all that, therefore, make every effort to grow. Make every effort. Uh, this, you know, make every effort, what does that mean? It means that you've got to work hard. Uh, there is effort required. It's, it's going to take some doing. Uh, you know, think about what it takes to ride a bike up a hill. It's real effort. That's the idea here. Effort is required. Peter is making it very clear that growing in godliness is something that requires our effort. Um, but it is an effort that responds to Christ's power working in us. Now, verse 5 is actually a corrective uh, to those who think that sanctification is something that involves no effort on our behalf. Uh, you may have heard the saying, let go and let God, which you know, could, could be a helpful saying if um, we were talking about who's in control of our life. But that's not the way it's usually used. It's often used to talk about how you grow as a Christian. And they say, let go and let God. Let God do it. Um, it's actually a saying that comes out of a movement all the way back in the 19th century, which emphasized a more passive view of dealing with sin. Uh, another motto that they had was cease striving. Again, that could be a helpful motto if we're talking about how to get saved. You know, cease striving, trust in Christ's righteousness. Um, however, that's not how it's used. It's used to talk about how you grow as a Christian. But if we look at what Peter says in verse 5, we can clearly see that let go and let God or cease striving are actually a distortion of what the Bible actually teaches. Uh, this passage says that Christ's power actually enables us to start striving. And so if, look at it like this. Verses 3 and 4 are about what Christ has provided us to grow. Verses 5 to 7 are about what we need to provide to grow. 
and they go together. It's not one or the other. Sanctification, that, that word for growing as a Christian, sanctification is a work of God and a work of ours working together. Now, the way I like to think about it, um, because I like to think about bikes, uh, is uh, I like to think of it like a modern electric bike. Uh, these days you can buy an electric bike where you, uh, the power from the battery is only accessed as you pedal. So it's different to the older electric bikes that had a throttle on them. You know, on those older ones, you just sit there and let the motor do all the work for you. But these new ones, uh, the power from the battery, you only experience that power as you put the effort in. And that's what Peter is saying about about growing as a Christian. Uh, It's God's power at work in us, and we access that power by working. It's important to understand this synergy of God and us working together because that, on the one hand, that will keep us from laziness you know, because real effort is required of us. But at the same time, it will keep us from despair because it's not our effort alone. It's not, we're not just left to our own strength. We work out what God has already worked in. That's the way it works. God and us working together. So where are we to focus our efforts then when it comes to godliness? Well, look at verse 5 again. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. That's moral excellence. Uh, And virtue with knowledge. So knowledge, so we're talking about learning doctrine, learning discernment, thinking biblically, uh, having wisdom. Uh, Supplement uh, knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness or perseverance. That's the ability to endure hardship well. And steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection. Brotherly affection. That's love for all believers, even the difficult ones. And uh, brotherly affection with love. Now, that, that's a very comprehensive list. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any particular order to that list, except perhaps for the way it begins and ends. Notice how the list begins with faith and it ends with love. See, that's how growth works. It always begins with a faith commitment in Christ, trusting in his power that we can change. And the goal is always love because love is the fulfillment of the law. Love encompasses all of the things that uh, Peter lists here. But just note the following things um, in this, this list of character traits. Uh, notice that Peter, he does list character traits as the, mean, as the, the, the expression of godliness. Uh, you know, Peter doesn't, doesn't mention gifts or um, achievements. You know, the measure of godliness is not what role you have in the church. It's not what title you might have. Uh, the measure of godliness is not how gifted or talented you are. I mean, you could be an incredibly gifted person, but an absolute pain to work with if you don't have godliness. So godliness is measured in character, what kind of person you are. Uh, Notice also here that the way to become a godly person is actually by practicing. Uh, Supplementing is the word in the the ESV at least. Uh, The NIV says you've got to add these things. You've got to do them, practice them. 
And so it almost seems silly to say this, but if you want to become more self-controlled, the way to do that is by practicing self-control. Uh, the way to become more patient is by practicing patience. So when you're in a situation where, where you're really tested and you can feel yourself getting frustrated, how do you learn patience? By practicing it in that uh, spot. Uh, the way to become a more discerning person is by practicing knowledge. So feeding your mind uh, with the truth. It's by practicing these qualities uh, that we become uh, more like them. Uh, notice also that these qualities are ones that we need to keep growing in. Uh, verse 8 is going to go on to say that if these qualities are yours and are increasing, right? so we're not going to achieve perfection in this life. That doesn't happen until we die you know, as believers or until Christ um, comes again. Uh, so we're not expected to have perfection in this life, but what we are expected to have is progress, progress in godliness. So are you growing? Are you growing in virtue? Are you growing in wisdom? Are you becoming more discerning? Are you more self-controlled now than you were, say, five or ten years ago? Uh, are you more... Uh, are you better at loving difficult people now than you were five or ten years ago? Are you less critical of others? Um, can you see that in the way that you speak about other people? Can you see change happening in your life? Are you less selfish than you used to be? Are you more generous? Are you more patient? Are you more hopeful toward others? See, this is where our efforts are to be focused. Christ's power enables us to live a godly life we are to focus on those characteristics, adding them and growing in them every day. In fact, this would actually be a very good prayer list, verses 5 to 7, a great daily prayer list. Pray through these qualities. Okay, so we've seen what godliness is. It's to be like God. Uh, we've seen where godliness comes from. It comes from God himself. Uh, it comes from knowing Jesus personally. We've seen how it works in our lives. It's it's um, Christ's power and our effort working together. But finally, we see in this passage why we need godliness, why we need it. And that's in verses 8 to 11. <clears throat> and here Peter gives us three reasons why we need, uh, why we must be progressing in godliness. So the first reason why you need to progress in godliness is because that will enable you to live a productive life. Have a look at verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't waste your life. That's what this is saying. Godliness will ensure that you don't waste it. Do you know, I'm sure none of us want to get toward the end of our life and start thinking to ourselves, do you know, why didn't I put away my selfishness like 20 years ago, why am I still such a selfish jerk? <laughs> why am I still so arrogant? Why didn't I put that away 30 years ago? Why did I keep doing it? Surely none of us want to get to the end of our lives and think like that. I mean, think of all the good that you can do in your home, in your marriage, uh, in your workplace, 
in your church if you practice godliness. I mean, what a blessing you will be to other people. I mean, no one on their deathbeds say, I wish I put more effort into my hobbies. I wish I spent more time at work. No one says that. People say, I wish I spent more time with my family. I wish I invested more into people. And do you see that godliness will ensure that that investment is the best that it can be? See, it's the way you live a productive life. Second, it's the way you avoid backsliding. So verse 9 says, For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So here Peter is saying that if you're not growing and being more fruitful as a believer, then you've virtually lost sight of who you are in Christ. Uh, You've actually forgotten what it cost Jesus to cleanse you from your sin. You've forgotten that he went to the cross for you, that he bore the judgment you deserved. You know, to go back to the very sins that Christ was punished for in our place, that's like what the writer of Hebrews says, it's to trample the Son of God underfoot. In fact, if you, put verse, if you look at verses 8 and 9 together, they actually show us that there is no neutral ground. There's no neutral ground. If you're not growing and becoming more like Christ, then you're actually going backwards. Uh, it's, it's like paddling a canoe up, upstream. Now, if you're paddling against the current, yes, it's hard, but that's, that's a good image to think about growing as a Christian because in this life we've got the world, the flesh and the devil, like this current constantly pushing against us. And see, the moment we stop paddling, the moment we stop growing, what happens? We start to drift backwards. See, if we're not progressing in godliness, then we are regressing and sin is getting the better of us. And if we just keep drifting back further and further, allowing sin to rule in our lives, then that, that we're actually in a really bad place there. That, that could potentially mean that we could miss out altogether. And I'm not talking about that you can lose your salvation I'm not saying that, but I am saying that if, if you're constantly going backwards and there is no progress, then you've got to wonder if you're really saved in the first place. And that actually leads us to the, the third reason why we need godliness. The third reason Peter mentions that we must be progressing, you know, growing. The third reason is because it's one of the ways that you can confirm that you really are saved. See, listen to verses 10 and 11. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. How do you know that you are one of God's elect? How do you know that at the end of your life, there will be a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ? How can you be sure? How can you be, be confident that, yes, that is the case for you? Peter says here that one of the ways you can know is that you're growing. You know, it's like um, what Jesus said. What's the sign of life according to Jesus? It's fruitfulness. Uh, Jesus says you can tell a tree by its fruit. 
And so a sure sign that the power of Christ is working in us is that we produce the fruit of the Spirit. Now, again, I'm not talking about perfection in this life. In fact, one of the, um, one of the parts of growing is actually realizing how sinful you actually are. And sometimes growth does feel like two steps forward and one back. Or actually, it's, it's more like one back and then two forward. Um, but however much we struggle in uh, growing in godliness, pressing forward is what matters. Progress is what matters. And Peter says it's this progress in godliness that confirms our calling and election. Uh, it's, it's not the cause of our calling and election, but it confirms that, yes, I am one of God's elect because I can see the power of Christ at work in me. It's a confirmation that there is going to be a rich welcome um, into the eternal kingdom of Jesus. And just picture that welcome for a moment. Um, you know, think about an athlete who wins a gold medal at the Olympic Games. Think of the reception they get when they finally return to their home country. You know, when they turn up and the red carpet is rolled out and, and the band begins to play, the balloons are released, the crowd is cheering, and for that athlete, it's, it's all access to every event. They're the special guest at all of the events. And that's kind of the picture here in verse 11. Uh, that's what awaits all those who truly are in Christ, to those who truly belong to Jesus. Uh, Peter says, For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. What an entrance that will be. But here we have a passage that reminds us that our right standing with God is by faith alone in Christ alone. And that faith is given by grace alone. It's by grace we're saved. But as the New Testament so often stresses, that we're not justified by a faith that is alone. The faith that Christ himself gives, our true faith always leads to transformation. It's a faith that produces godliness. And so do you have that kind of faith? Can you see the evidence of that kind of faith in your life? Now, when we ever get back to meeting together in this building, uh, we're all going to be stunned at how much we've changed. You know, there'll be, all, there'll be all these little children running around that we don't even know who they are. Uh, Ethan will be another metre tall. A lot of us will have less hair and more wrinkles. Uh, we'll, we all will have changed. But how good will it be to be able to say to one another, you seem different in a good way? Well, maybe we won't say that, but hopefully we'll notice that God has been at work and you have been at work and now you are looking a bit more like him. See, don't waste your life. Pursue godliness. Well, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the grace that has not left us to the corruption of this world caused by sinful desire. Oh, we praise you, Father, that you have rescued us by the cross of Jesus. We praise you that through his blood we are able to escape that corruption and be partakers in the divine nature, to become like him in true godliness. What a privilege it is to be able to serve and please the true and living God. 
Oh, but Father, we acknowledge that we have not always lived lives that are pleasing to you. There have been times even this week where we have forgotten that we've been cleansed from our past sin and have foolishly gone back to it. Father, we confess that we have uh, been tempted and yet have not looked for your power to overcome that temptation, but rather have succumbed. Lord, we acknowledge that we have wasted um, many days and opportunities to practice godliness and have even sometimes practiced ungodliness. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for this. Father, we ask that today that you would renew our hope for change, that we would not forget to put your word into practice. Encourage us, Lord, uh, even today, to put one foot in front of the other as we pursue Christ's likeness. Uh, we pray for us uh, in those areas where we're especially weak. Uh, may we believe that Christ's power is sufficient for us, that he truly has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And so may, may we act in faith on that promise and make every effort to add to our faith godly character. Lord, we pray for our church that you would protect each one. Uh, help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ and him crucified. Father, we pray for our nation. We pray that this pandemic would humble us as a nation, that it, that it would cause many uh, to turn from self-sufficiency and to turn from rebellion against you and rather acknowledge you as the sovereign God. We pray that especially for our leaders. We pray that they might turn to you, that you might display your grace in their salvation. Father, we pray that it, if it is your will that this pandemic might end soon, that we would be able to uh, meet together again in this place. And we do pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.